Hello. This is a quick message from the production team. I hope you are enjoying the Illegally Speaking podcast. Due to the current COVID-19 link crisis, the next few episodes will be recorded through our video communication software. Thanks for your understanding, and do stay safe. The episode will now begin. Welcome to the Legally Speaking podcast, powered by Kasum Carr. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by the highly impressive Sana Shafi. Sana is the founder of Strive, an organisation which was founded to address the imbalance of diversity in city law, to identify and nurture potential, and to ensure that there's an equal playing field for all. She doesn't stop there. She's also the current trainee solicitor for a silver circle law firm, Travis Smith, in London, and popular law blogger. So welcome, Sana. Hi, Rob. Thank you very much for having me. It's so great to be here. Now, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, you may or may not know, but we have a a customary question on the Legally Speaking podcast before we go through all of the great achievements and what you're you're doing in your career to date and and beyond. So starting with that question, on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, how would you rate the hit TV series Suits? <laughs> um, I'd give it a rating. I love this question. Um, I'd give it a rating of, let's say, seven. Okay, that's quite high. That's quite high. Seven is quite high. It's just because I've got a particular affinity for Suits. <laughs> that's the only reason. Very loyal. Yeah, you bought into the Hollywood, right? <laughs> I did. I did. They they got me. They got me nicely. Even though I sit there going, no, that's not what happens. Everything is inaccurate. It's a seven from me. Okay, good, good. Well, it's good. We've had a few low scores and high critics recently. So it's nice to, to get a plus five um, before we jump into everything. So, um, as I mentioned at the top, you you do so much, um, you know, not only just within the, the legal day-to-day job, but the wider field. But what I want to do is sort of start right at the beginning in terms of your journey. But even before that, in terms of telling us listeners a bit more about you and your family background and, and, and your upbringing, would you like to kind of share with us a, a bit about you? Um, in terms of family uh, background, I... Well, where should we start from? So I actually wasn't born here. I basically, um, I was born in India and then I came over to the UK when I was seven, picked up English as a second language um, and basically attended your local comprehensive that was around the corner. Probably wasn't the best in terms of um, the, the, the stats that came out at the end of the year. So it was just your very average run of the mill comprehensive. And from there, I decided to pursue law at uni. So I tried to get a couple of uh, various different internships here and there. At that time, I wasn't entirely sure what I was getting myself into as it was a very much a new, it was very much a new area for me. I didn't really have any, I don't have any lawyers in the family and there were no kind of family connections or anyone to kind of tell me what this journey was going to look like so it was very much a blunder in the dark um so to speak so I did a couple of internships um realized that I actually liked it a couple of stints at, at the bar and um, where I did a couple of mini pupillages as well and then I just decided to make an application got accepted onto Queen Mary um and that's where I did my undergrad um and while I was studying there I developed this interest into business I've always been very entrepreneurial by nature um, and I did a couple of hackathons while I was there and and that kind of made me think that perhaps as well as my additional work experience I had done previously that commercial law was an area that I was was potentially interested in so I kind of started to explore that with a little bit more interest and did a couple of placements here and there Um, so I did a work experience at Freshfields for a while 
um, which was which was great. And that basically reaffirmed my decision that actually the city is where I wanted to be. It's very it's very high paced. It's sorry fast paced. It's very busy. It, there's a lot going on, and I I really like the idea of just being in the middle where all the action was happening. So from there on, I decided to apply for a couple of VAC schemes. Um, and, you know, I, I did about three VAC schemes, one of which was Travis Smith. Um, and I got my TC offer off the back of that and accepted. And, and here we are. Um, and then while I was doing my LPC, I decided that actually I would like to do something to help prospective law students um, get ahead and make sure that students that were like me that didn't really know what they were doing or, or didn't really have those kind of connections or insight or knowledge. I wanted to create something that would help them as well. Um, and that's really how Strive was born <laughs> during my LPC years. Um, right. And here we are, one year on. Great. And we'll definitely talk more about Strive um, very, very shortly. But I guess mm-hmm. it'll be helpful for our listeners listening in. And it's fair to say from that synopsis then, you know, you, you didn't come from a family of lawyers, sort of you kind of dip your toe into it from the legal education side of things. And actually, you know, the more and more you kind of learned and sort of, you know, you had more experiences in it, you enjoyed it and kind of that I guess possessed your passion for wanting to get into the law, um, which is really, really comforting because, you know, some people are kind of born and they kind of have lots of family influences or people saying you should consider the law. It's something you found sort of organically through your own kind of workings or basically from what, from what I'm gleaming from that, which is great. Um, what lots of people listening in also like to know is how people did secure their, their training contracts because, as you know, it is so, so competitive. You mentioned, we all know you're at Travis Smith currently and you mentioned you did a VAC scheme there, but could you just shed a little bit more light on that process and maybe how you handled certain rejections you may or may not have had along the way as well. Yeah, sure. So <laughs> rejections were my favorite part of the process, Rob, as they are <laughs> with everyone. <laughs> I, I had a fair few. Um, and I remember it, it is, as you say, it is a bit of a process. Um, and it, and it, it's a bit of a difficult one because unlike other industries, law is is probably one of the most competitive areas to pursue a, a career in. And there's a lot of prep that goes into it even before you submit an application. So it's not a matter of just kind of waking up one day and going, oh, you know, this is what I want to do. There's loads and loads and loads of background work that goes in even before you get to application stage. So as I say, for me, the the process was very much, um, you know, it was very organic. It was just me trying to find, find my way along. So I initially started with just attending open days. So for me, it was about familiarizing myself with the process because I was so unfamiliar with it. And for me, I found that the best way to start was actually to go out there, meet the firms and see what it, what it was that they're looking for and how their processes run. So I spent a lot of time attending open days where I was successful um, and there were very many where I wasn't. So where I was unsuccessful, I would just attend loads of networking events. I found that they were really, really invaluable for me Um just because it's just such a nice way to meet the people that potentially work at the company that you might be interested in. And it's a much more nicer environment, a little bit informal. So for me, I, I really like a good networking event. Um, I, get, I get a little bit happy about it. And obviously the food is great. So yeah. not, that, not that that's the reason you go there, but definitely the food is always a good bonus. So, it's, a good, um, it's a good icebreaker, that's for sure. 
yeah, it is. And, you know, you can, if it gets really bad, you can just network with the food and nobody will ever know. <laughs> That's a really important point, though. And we've had throughout season one and season two of the Legally Speaking podcast, we've had various people come on, uh, the likes of Chrissy Wolf, who you probably know, who runs Law and Broad. We've had the London Young Lawyers Group, who's now sort of head up by Ollie Haddock and Eloise Skinner, and lots of people who have always kind of been banging the drum and, and sort of pioneers. And what you're saying there is the importance of networking right from the start of your career not only to get a break in a training contract, but also as you further your career. I think it's the times are changing. You've got to get yourself out there. And that was a lot of offline networking you've shown you've shown in that that sort of particular um, success story for you. But it's also online networking now, which is which is super, super important, which I'm sure you agree with. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. You've not qualified yet. You are going through your, your training contract. Which area of law would do you wish to uh, to specialize in? Wow. <laughs> um, I think it's very much uh, very early days still. I'm at the moment, I'm trying to keep um, an open mind as, as much as possible. And for me, the first part was just knowing what kind of seats I was potentially interested in. So I've already, I've done a seat in corporate. I'm currently in funds at the moment. Um, and, you know, I was quite keen on employment being one of my option choices. Um, and then for the third seat, I wasn't, you know, competition would be nice, but I'm not particularly fussed because I'm just one of those people that gets enthusiastic about pretty much everything. Um, there isn't really anything that I kind of look at and go, oh my God, <laughs> I'd kill myself <laughs> if I was there. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, so for me, it's just trying to keep my options as open as I possibly can and just taking it on the basis of um, of the TC. And obviously, a lot of thought does need to go into qualification in terms of what it is that you a, really want to you know, qualify in and practice for the long term, but also just where, where you see yourself going. So at the moment, I definitely enjoyed corporate and corporate remains um, a qualification choice, but I'm in funds right now and I'm absolutely loving funds too. So, <laughs> um, so, so that's also uh, a very much of, a, of an option choice. So at the moment, I think I, I don't know for definite, um, but I'm, I, you know, I'm happy to kind of take that as it, as it comes and decide nearer the time. Yeah. And I guess it'd be helpful for people listening in to know what it's like, you know, in light of the coronavirus, being a trainee in a in a sort of leading city law firm, how how, how you're finding that. Because ultimately when you're you're training, you know, you want to be around learning by osmosis from, you know, associates, partners around you. How are you finding your experience in, in current times? It's very different. Um, I think it's it's slightly more different than it would have been if I was at a firm that didn't put a massive, you know, a, a massive influence on learning biosmosis um because the the way that travis operates as a firm is that we we sit in a room with four other people so you have a trainee all the way up to a partner so there's five of us in in one room and there's always a lot of activity going on so i think as far as learning biosmosis goes it really is a core part of of the travis culture to enable that to happen so with the coronavirus situation where a lot of us are working from home, that has definitely um, thrown a couple of challenges our way. And one of the things that you had to get used to very quickly was actually learning, was learning to work from home as a trainee, which is when you're, which is quite difficult to do when it's just your second seat um, and you haven't, you've never worked from home before. Um, so the first two weeks was a bit of a learning experience in terms of a getting the equipment to work properly <laughs> and B, like you know the tech is always a nightmare and B just trying to find out some a way that works for you and, and your team so the way that one of the ways that I've tried to make that process a lot smoother is obviously maintaining the communication which is always always a key part 
but also just generally trying to be fairly regimented in terms of how I do um, throughout my day. So scheduling and breaks, making sure that I am still talking to my colleagues, um, Skyping them or FaceTiming them for 10, 15 minutes or getting a Skype coffee, <laughs> which is always yeah. great. Um, so it's, th- it's things like that, which are really helping to make sure that you're still building that you're still building those relationships with the people in the firm that are fundamentally very very important to your career and and going forward but also making sure that you are also being proactive because I find that when you're talking to people um, and you're all in it together a it makes it less lonely which is which is great but also it's also quite motivating to know that everybody else is kind of in the same boat as you and you're all kind of going through the same thing and you can always help each other out and give each other tips that you might not otherwise get if you just put yourself, you know, just sit in front of a desk and just get on with it. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And it's sort of teaching everyone to remain more collaborative, more proactive and to look out for one another. And, you know, you ultimately get out what you you put in, which is is what you put very, very succinctly and nicely there. So thanks for that. Um, Before we, as I say, go on to talk about Strive, one one sort of final question. Do Do you see yourself, I know it's a long way off, but do you see yourself being a partner in a law firm one day? Is that an aspiration of yours? Do I see what, you know, right between you and I, I think I'd make a pretty great partner. <laughs> <laughs> and that's on the record on the Legally Speaking podcast. So I agree. I think you'd make an excellent partner. <laughs> it's his networking skills coming in handy, Rob. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. Well, by the time you make partner, this podcast will be like the highest profile one in the world, right? Exactly. Of course, that, that's got to happen. I mean, you're the one that's hosting it. How can I not? Exactly. There we go. There we go. Okay. Well, you look, I love that ambition. And that leads very nicely on to um, to Stripe, because as I mentioned at the top of this, um, you know, I'm amazed by how you managed to fit it all in. But I know Stripe really, really means a lot to you. So for people that are new to Stripe, can you tell us exactly what it is and why you decided to found the organisation? Yeah, so Strive is, I say it's a platform, but it's more than that. Um, Strive is a place where you know, students can really come together and really be part of the same journey. Um, the key reason why it was set up initially was to address what I felt was an imbalance in a city where diversity was such a hot term in the sense that everybody was talking about it and every single fan says, you know, we want to do a lot for diversity. And it's just one of those things that it, it was it was very hot. People like to talk about it. but progression has been fairly slow um, in that space. I mean, there has been progression, but it just has not been what you'd expect to see given how long we've all been working to achieve it. And it's just been a bit of a long and arduous journey. So we wanted to set up something that really was accessible for, for all. That was, a, that was a key thing. We wanted to make sure that Strive uh, resources were things that everyone, anybody that wanted to know a little bit about law and wanted to know how to get into it, they could find this information there and they could access that quite easily. So, And the reason being for that is we think if we want to increase diversity, we have to start removing barriers. The second thing that we wanted to achieve with Strive was in order to address the imbalance in the city, we wanted to create a platform where students that were generally disadvantaged in the sense that they wouldn't be able to access the same kind of opportunities through no fault of their own, they would be given a place where they could access the same information, the same opportunities, the same resources that people that they would then meet at an assessment centre would have already had access to. So it's really all about addressing um, by leveling the playing field through education, through opportunities and making sure that everybody received the same quality of training because we felt that the only way to address an imbalance is to make sure that everybody kind of enters the assessment center at the same level rather than 
people where rather than two groups of students where you've got somebody who as a, as an example has probably gone to a very good grammar school has subsequently gone into Oxbridge um, done very, very well for themselves of course they've, they've worked hard but um, by virtue of the fact that they've gone into grammar school and subsequently Oxbridge, they've also had access to loads of opportunities. So they've had firms coming onto campus. They've had loads of presentations being given to them. Um, they've had loads of support from their career service and so forth. Um, so this, so you've got this individual who clearly knows what's going on and where they want to go, as well as they've got the Oxbridge brand behind them. So there's loads of advantages in being person A. Um, and then you might have person B who probably attended a local comprehensive the same the same way that I did probably had no clue about law until they actually started um at university and they kind of had to start thinking about what they wanted to where they wanted to be and where they wanted to go and realizing that actually there is so much information out there that you don't really know where to start and where to look from so in that case I wanted to create something where person B could access the same kind of information the same kind of training we would help them draft their applications give them the same kind of skill set and allow them to develop those skill sets that person a would have naturally acquired over time so that when person a and b both turn up at assessment center they're able to compete um, on an equal footing and individual b can compete on their own merits it's very much of a meritocratic system and um, we don't really believe in any kind of barriers or backdoors um, entry or anything along those lines it's very much the fact that we believe that all of our students are talented enough they've just never had that opportunity to, to display that potential and it for us it's the matter of getting that potential out there into the open and making sure that when they do turn up an assessment center they can perform at the very best knowing that they are um, good enough and they've had the same kind of opportunities it's really a way for us to minimize the disadvantage so that's really what what the, what the motivations behind behind strive was so when we first started out we took on about 85 students onto our program. This was last year from all kinds of backgrounds. I think the only thing in common that our Strive students have is that they have nothing in common at all, that they are all very, very <laughs> unique and very different. Um, and, you know, one year later, we had uh, our success rate was roughly 85%, where 85% of our students secured a vacation scheme or a training contract offer from leading law firms like, you know, um, Clifford Chance, Notorious Fulbright and, and various others. So it, it's for us, it was a bit of an experiment in the first year as we were really going up against the tide in the sense that, you know, we were kind of saying to law firms, like, we've got students that don't necessarily have A-star AA on paper, but who are nonetheless very, very bright and very talented and very capable. And a lot of firms were kind of going, but how do you know that? And we said, well, good question. Yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> it is a difficult question. And for us, the way that we try and ascertain that talent through contextual recruitment, which is very, very a huge deal for us, but also contextual recruitment with the human touch, because we find that contextual recruitment in itself, where you're just looking at cold data, can skew the results to to a certain degree, and it's quite open to to manipulation um, to a certain extent. So, for instance, somebody could attend a grammar school, which is rated like you know, one of the best schools in the country. But by virtue of the fact that they are going to a grammar, they would still classify as state school and they would still be eligible for various kinds of support that other students um, would have difficulty accessing. And that was one of the key things that we wanted to address with Strive was making sure that our resources was really reaching students that genuinely needed it. 
Yeah, no, and I, I love that. And I think that's such a great concept. And for people listening in, you, you describe obviously Strive as a platform. How can people, um, I guess, get access to this or apply or become a member? Can you talk more about that sort of general process? Yeah, sure. So we have, you can split our um, kind of membership into two parts. So we have our candidates um, who, we call them our program candidates, who become enrolled onto the program. So the program would open up once a year. Um, and it is very much a year-long program, so we'd open it up around summer, ready to kick off in September, October period, and this would continue for an entire academic year. So that's that's a program. Um, there are about 85, 85 places on it um, every single year because that is the number that we cap it on, and we can split that into a first-year program and a second-year program. And our first-year program is a lot smaller. We we cap that at about 25 students um, only. Um, so that's a program. And then we have our membership. The membership is basically open for everyone. So anyone that's interested in having access to Strive resources and um, open Strive events, then the membership is is for them. As part of that, you get access to like a little login portal where you can log in and access all of our resources, our events calendar. So we've got a couple of case studies um, that's freely available within that portal and various different blog posts and other tips and tricks. So we try and we provide as much information as we possibly can to our members um, so that we are helping them as well, as well as to our candidates. Yeah. And the membership application is it's very straightforward in the sense you just go on the website, sign up, fill in a quick form, and, and that's it. Great, great. And in terms of sort of the the longer longer term or future ambitions for Strive, I know you, you've talked about some 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 initiatives. Is there anything you can share that's sort of in the future that you're planning that might be quite interesting for our listeners to to sort of know about? Yeah. So one of the things that we do with Strive, we always try and host a different flagship every single year. Um, it is just one of the things that we try and keep fresh and and different. So this year's flagship was supposed to be, um, which has been put on hold because of Corona, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> it was supposed to be our a diversity hackathon, which was uh, a way for us to get various city um, law firms together in a room and think about the solutions that we can actually implement um, in, in this journey towards diversity. And it was supposed to be a very much of a collaborative approach and a way for us to get all these different great firms and the great initiatives that they are working on into one room and create something that we could, that was a little bit more tangible and something that we could actively work towards together rather than individually. So that the hackathon was a flagship for this year. We are <laughs> looking to get it back on as soon as we know what's happening with the with the coronavirus outbreak and and, and how that's, that's going to unfold. Um, one of the things that we are also looking into is um, is a Strive conference. So it's very much of a student conference, a little bit like a training contract boot camp. And the idea is that it's very much open to all um, and similar to a boot camp. The idea is that we equip students with all the information that we possibly can provide them in the space of a day um, that will allow them to then go on and start implementing those tips and techniques from the day and you, they can adopt them in their own applications um, and the idea is that our students walk away from that conference feeling empowered to make these applications and knowing that they've got the right kind of information and they've got a good starting point so that's the one of the second events that we've got um, and then just generally one of the things that we do look at is hosting various different law firm events so that's something that's always pretty much ongoing. Um, we haven't really done any this year just because of various reasons. One of the things that we're 
doing at the moment is converting Strive into a charity. Um, and that's one of the reasons why some of the events that we would normally do, um, we haven't really had a, had a chance to to get those off, off off the ground because until the incorporation is complete, we just thought it'd be better to, to hold off. But yeah, law firm events is something that's always ongoing and we would always encourage students to, to apply. Um, some of them are open events, which means that they are open for all and some are candidates only, but those distinctions were made quite clear. Great. Okay. Well, I think that gives everyone a really good comprehensive overview of, of, of Strive. So thanks so much for that. But I, I, as I mentioned again at the top, it doesn't stop there because, you know, as part of other things that you do is also you're a popular sort of law blogger. So do you want to sort of tell us more about that and what sparked your passion for, for wanting to sort of do blogging? <laughs> so my passion for blogging, it really just started um, just because when I was starting out, I remember uh, looking around and thinking it'd be really nice if somebody had a blog that kind of told me what I needed to do next. So, and given that there weren't that many at that time, I started to document my, my journey on, on LinkedIn, um, as well as my, as as well as on my own, um, blog post. And I found, and it was, you know, it, it took off. <laughs> it basically just took off, and loads of people were interested to see what the journey was like. And it's just something that I started off on a whim, um, initially just just on LinkedIn, just posting about my my kind of journey and the things that I've learned and any tips and techniques that I would adopt. And then Strive was set up, and I could do a lot more of the tips and techniques because with through Strive we were helping about hundreds, you know, around about eighty five to eight hundred students get training contracts so there were loads and loads of things that we identified through that process and I thought it'd be really nice to just share that with everybody else um and for me it was just about being not necessarily a voice but it was just about documenting my experiences so that if anybody ever wanted to go and and find out what it was like or if they ever wanted some kind of guidance they could always come back to one of my posts and they should be able to find everything there that's really what motivated it it wasn't really a strategic plan I'm afraid Rob it just it just kind of happened no, but I really love that. And it's a really nice new wave of the future lawyers and uh, people coming through about this whole giving back generation. You know, you may be familiar with obviously Harry Clark, who does a lot of blogging, you know, Gordon Chung and, you know, all of these various people that are, are friends of the Legally Speaking podcast as, as well. And I just have so much admiration for all the work and efforts you're prepared to do part of giving back to actually help others. I, I really like the collaborative sort of nature of the, the future lawyers and people in practice that are giving back. So, no, I love it. Um in addition, you're also the author for The Market Mogul. So tell us more about that. So The, the Market Mogul was, um, it, it's it's also another platform that started a couple of years ago and it was, they kind of coined it as authentic news. Um, and, I, and I loved that whole idea because it was something that's very news, very different. And it was just an opportunity for literally anybody that wanted, that was quite passionate about certain topics or they had interest in politics or any matter at all that was impacting um, our world to, to to go and talk about it. So I came across the market mogul um, back when I was in my first year of uni and I thought, oh, this looks great. Um, do I have a couple of opinions? Yes, I do. I've got a quite a big mouth as well. So <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, let, let's go on there um, and start typing stuff. So, and I initially, when I started writing for the market mogul, my focus was always very much on within the legal and political sphere um, and just seeing the interplay between law and politics. So, Quite a few of my articles were just based on on that. So every time, for instance, Brexit was a huge thing, um, and it still is. But back then, it, it was it seemed you know in the middle after Corona, it seems we've forgotten about Brexit. But two three years ago, it was all that everybody was ever talking about. 
So quite a few of my posts were were on that. Um, and that was just something that I did every time I came across something interesting. I thought, actually, I, I think I could write something about this. Um, and I would just write it and the editors would review and come back and say, oh, Zana, I think you need to edit this. <laughs> I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> um, before they would publish it. Great, great. Well, yeah, I, I love it how you just casually drop in, how you find time when you're juggling everything else that you do to do that. But it's it's amazing. So, um, you know, congratulations. I think in terms of as we look to, to to close, I want to ask a couple of challenging questions, if, if I may. Um, yeah. You know, on on law firms, really, you know, putting them to the to the mask. What do you think they can do to support aspirational current lawyers from from main backgrounds? Because I, I love what Strive's doing in terms of really trying to level the playing field. But what more do you think could be done or should be done? So I think um, one of the first things that law firms just I think need to collectively understand is some of the challenges that BAME students face. I think understanding the challenges then puts them in a much better position to then be able to implement procedures and processes that are a lot more inclusive and a lot more welcoming to students that come from BAME and and disadvantaged backgrounds. So I think that's, that's the first thing. I think just generally there isn't that much awareness of what it actually means to be BAME other than the fact that you happen to be not white. But um, beyond that, it's all about really the challenges that you might face within the industry, what the concerns are, and being familiar with those things. Um, You know, they say the knowledge is power and knowing those things is really what would allow uh, recruiters um, in law firms to look at their current practices and see what they can do to make that more inclusive and make those things more welcoming. Um, One of the issues that we're currently looking at is is BAME retention, which I understand is an issue for quite a lot of law firms. And, you know, it's quite, for us to correct it, we need to understand why that is an issue in the first place. Why is it that we managed to hire them, but we somehow cannot retain them? Something is, is going wrong. And in order to figure out what it is, we have to look deeper into the processes. And when we talk about inclusivity, we actually have to consider whether we truly are inclusive. Um, and the only way we can do that is if we understand the nuances of what it means to be BAME and what it means to be socially disadvantaged and, and the challenges that that throws up and how to best deal with those challenges going forward. And the yeah. second thing I would say is access. Um, I would say that, of course, law firms always want the best talent and that's, and, and, and that's fine. But there's got to be a way of enabling access for students that would not necessarily be able to attend. So, for instance, like virtual events for students that are outside of London or just simply cannot afford to, to travel um, in, in, into the city or they have other various other commitments. So, virtual events are always a great thing. Um, and just generally perhaps reaching out to other universities that they would not typically work with um, is also another great way of increasing diversity rather than the stereotypical kind of city farm strongholds. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's some really good good points there. So so really well said. Um, and so as we, we, we wrap up, I guess lots of people listening in will probably be keen to hear other people's ideas of what they're doing. You know, what do you do in, you know, the current unprecedented times for, for downtime? You know, we can't just be sort of nipping on a flight here, there and everywhere. So what are you doing day to day for downtime and, and sort of keeping your own sort of mental health and well-being? Is there any tips you'd share? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so one of the things that I, I'm very much of a social um creature <laughs> I, I love I love being in touch with all of my friends and seeing what they're up to um, and and I I think that's one of the 
it's something that works on for my mental health quite a lot one being able to talk to people so I always try to find time where I can speak to my friends or I can speak to my colleagues or I can go downstairs and have dinner with my family like that's quite important um so keeping the loneliness at bay secondly I try and get in a bit of meditation in the morning so keeping it's really important to have routine um I love having a good morning routine and um, a good night routine as yeah. as bizarre as that may sound and for me my good night routine basically involves before I get ready for bed it just involves me putting on all of my different kind of skincare products and just really winding down for the day having a cup of hot tea grabbing a book reading that and then maybe doing a short five five minute meditation um and then knocking off knocking off to sleep so routine is one of the things that I find is quite calming um, and just making sure that taking regular breaks when things get really busy, I think, especially when you're working from home, it gets really easy to skip on lunch and skip on breaks because you feel like you've got, you're working a lot slower, you're a lot less productive um, and it can feel quite difficult. So one of the things that I now try and force myself to do is when things get really hectic, which is a little bit counterintuitive is I kind of go, okay, well, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to go for a quick walk, take a walk around my garden come back or I'm going to go downstairs and make myself some tea and just get away from the desk. Um, it's actually one of the tips that one of my coaches told me and it, I have noticed that it's made a huge difference just being away from the space where there is so much going on and taking two minutes outside, it can make a huge difference to your productivity levels when you come <laughs> back. And, and also just sometimes you just find the answer as you're walking back up the stairs which is really odd and the time that it takes for you to come back you might go actually I now know what I need to do so it's really the small things I find that are making a huge difference and obviously eating well and sleeping well and those things that just go without saying yeah no really really well said and just lastly if people want to sort of get in touch with you or learn more about Stride you know would you want to give your your sort of website a shout out or how people can find you on social media yeah, absolutely. So the website for Strive is www.striveconsultants.co.uk. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, um, I'm always on LinkedIn. So do feel free to to drop me a message and, and follow the profile and go and have a read on my blog. There you go, folks. Um, Sana, thanks an absolute million for featuring today. It's been a real pleasure. Um, I'm sure you'll feature again on the Legally Speaking podcast in the future. We wish you and all the team at Strive all the best in, in the near and long-term future and wishing you all the best with your training contracts at Travis Smith as, as well. So uh, I hope everyone found that as inspiring and as informative as I did and over and out. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. No worries. <laughs>